Hello, this is the Lighthouse Church. Welcome to church. Hello, welcome. This is the Lighthouse Church. Hello, this is the Lighthouse Church. Welcome to church. This is the Lighthouse Church. Welcome to church. This is the Lighthouse Church. Welcome to church. This is the Lighthouse. Welcome to church. If you are looking for a place devoid of religion, if you are looking for a place where the gospel is preached wrong, if you are looking for a place where you want to know God as your own personal father, if you are looking for a place where transformation happens from the inside out, then I want to welcome you to the lighthouse. I will see you on the inside. God bless you. Hallelujah. I am so excited to teach today because there are things that God has taught me over the years that I've used in my own life that I want to share with you today that will help you when you face a Goliath moment. When we talk about Goliath moment, the story is called from the book of First Samuel chapter 17. If you have been within the Christian fold uh, for some time, you will have heard about the story of a man named, a boy named David who was 17 years old, who defeated this man named Goliath, who was from another tribe or another country that came to challenge people in his country. And when we look at the physical abilities of David compared to the physical abilities of Goliath, they do not compute. When we look at how all, how mighty Goliath looks compared to how, uh, how David looks, David looks... So looks small compared to Goliath. And for example, let's say all of a sudden you 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 go you you go into your garden and you found a tiger there, and the tiger is looking at you, and you had you have no weapon to fight the tiger, it's just you and your bare hands. The physical reaction you are gonna have is to run away. You have this fight or flight, uh fight or flight reaction in your heart. Which means you either want to fight or you want to run away, right? But because you don't have any physical uh, thing that you can use, there are no stones, there are no machetes, there's nothing in your hand that you can use to fight, what are you going to do? The, the tendency will be for you to do or to run away. Now, when you see a, 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 a tiger, you run away if you don't have any means to fight the tiger. Or even if you do have the means to fight the tiger, you realize you are not, you're not fast enough to run maybe jump over the fence, you become petrified. Okay. It is possible for us not to see a physical tiger or a physical lion, but to face situations in our lives that suggest that we are confronting something that it looks so insurmountable. And the same way we, the same way we felt when we, when we faced a tiger, you know, palpitation, sweaty palms, um, the heart is racing and all that kind of stuff. You end up feeling the same feeling when you face situations that look like you are facing a tiger, you're, 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 you're looking at a tiger or you are, you're, you're, you've crossed a path with a tiger in, in your garden. These situations, we call them Goliath moments or Goliath situations. So it might be family member is gone, sickness, and the doctor said it's terminal. It might be the marriage is on the on the brink of breakup. It might be the child is being wayward. It might be whatever situation that is looks so 
uh, in the realm, in, in, in the physical realm, looks so impossible for you to overcome. We call these situations Goliath moments. And what I want to do today is look through the life of David, the encounter that David had with Goliath in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17, and then use that to explain what God taught me, how we can face and overcome in the Goliath moment of our lives. The Bible says in this world, we will have tribulation. But God said, be of good cheer, rejoice. Why? For I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Jesus Christ says, you are already a victor that the devil is trying to steal from. Learn to fight as a victor so that you can receive the victory that Christ already won on your behalf. That is what this text is going to be talking about. So today we're talking about the good fight. How to slay your Goliath, part two. We did good part, how to slay your Goliath, part one last week. Today we're doing part two. Now let's go into the text, 1 Samuel chapter 17, from verses 1 to 51. Now what I will do is, I will not read first verses 1 to 51 in a go. I will step through the verses and explain what God taught me. And then we'll deep dive into other uh, passages that God taught me and I'll have some testimonies here that I want to read as well if time permits to corroborate the matter. So in 1st Samuel chapter 17 the Bible says verse 1 let's start from verse 1. Verse 1 says um, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Emphis Damin between Soko and Azekah, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupy one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. So you can see the Israelites are here, the Philistines are here. That's the picture. Now look at verse 4. I'm going to read from verse 4 to 8 now. Um, verse 4 to 11 actually. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp his height was six cubits and a span. Now, this is like nine feet, ten inches, right? He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. So, I spoke last week. This is somebody wearing 50, 54 kg of armor, you know, chest armor, right? So, this guy's wearing 54 kg of chest armor. Imagine somebody, you know, a friend of yours who's probably, probably weigh 54 kg. That is what. Goliath was wearing on himself. He's, he's, apart from his weight, he's carrying 54 kg of weight on himself. All right. Now, the Bible didn't stop there. The Bible then says, um, on his legs, he wore bronze greaves. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. So, he had a javelin on the back, on his back. Now, his spear shaft is like a weaver's rod. Now, a weaver's rod... It's like in the olden days, they used to have, you know, weave clothes, right? You used to weave clothes that people wear. Yeah, it's like a weaver's loom. You know, you go to somebody who weaves clothes. Uh, they have a loom that they used to weave clothes. Now, there's a shaft that holds the machine together. That is the shaft that is the spear that this guy The spear is like a weaver's rod, long, mighty rod, right? But it doesn't stop there. It's high on. The high on from the shaft weighed 600 shekels it's about 16 kg or, or 17 kg so this guy literally has for a, for a spear is literally the kind of dumbbells that you go to the gym and you carry dumbbells like this who 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 all right the bible says he should be went ahead of him 
So the guy also is so great, is so big and mighty that he also had somebody who carries a shield. A shield is an is an, is an apparatus that during the holding days uh, they used to wear. Um, on, used to put on the on the forearm like this i used to, to stay like this on when you're going to the battle so that that protects the entire frontage of that person goliath was so mighty so big that somebody else carries that shield for him now goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of israel why do you come out and line up for battle am i not a philistine and are you not the servant of sword choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right, so let's take a step into uh, verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward. This guy, Goliath, came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. He took his stand to do what? To say the same thing he's been saying. Give me a man. If the person kills me, who will be your servant. If I kill the person, you become our servant. Um, um, come on, let's do it. I defy you. Who is here among you that can defeat me? And the Bible said, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So, when we look at the attributes of Goliath, we see that he's 9 feet 10 inch tall. He weighs 54 kg. He, he, thought he wears this bodysuit of 54 kg. He has a spear that has a, the spear head 16 kg. So, this man is big. This man is undefeatable. This man looks undefeatable. This man is menacing. That's why the Bible says, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So, I want you to notice something carefully in verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So, the words that this guy, the words that this guy speak, this guy speaks, terrified them, dismayed them. No, dismay is to, to be hopeless. Terrified means you are afraid. Now, imagine for 40 days, for 40 days, you are facing this kind of challenge. Somebody comes to you, day in and day in and day out challenging you speaking words that terrify you creating emotions in your body that cause you to panic imagine for 40 days you have faced a challenge like this where it seems like you are in fear not seem you are actually in fear you are afraid you are facing something it's almost like you are facing uh, what? a what a, a tiger in your backyard every day just imagine how um, how difficult that would be, right? When you face something like that. So I wanted to have a look again at verses 11 and 16. On hearing the Philistines, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So we see two things here. Number one, they heard the words of the Philistine. They saw the Philistine. They heard the words. The words and they saw him who was speaking. So now, their senses are gathering evidences, right? 
the evidences of the word and the evidences of the sight. When they compare that to their the sizes of the men, when they compare that to what they have, they become terrified. If you also live life like that, where you compare yourself in the natural to the challenges you face, you will be afraid. And that's the reason why what I want to teach today is very helpful for everybody because it teaches us to see how God wants us to look at things even when we face Goliath moment, especially when you face a Goliath moment. What they saw and what they heard communicated fear into their heart. When they became fearful, what happened? They ran away from the problem. They all, they became immobilized. They were petrified. They didn't know what to do. People of God, fear is communicated by words. By the words of the devil, the words of the flesh, the words of the world, the words of the problems that you are going through. Fear is communicated by words. But you also know that faith, the God kind of faith, is communicated also by word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So faith comes as we hear the word of God. Fear also comes as we hear the word of the enemy. So you see, therefore, here that words are the vehicles of communication. Words releases images. When we speak, what we're actually doing is we release the image of what we speak. That's why Jesus Christ says words are spiritual. You have never seen a word. You've never seen the word. You've read the word, but you've not seen the word. But words are spiritual. The fact that you cannot see the word in terms of physically see the word does not mean words are not being communicated. And because words are spiritual, everything in nature is affected by words. God used words to create the universe. God used words to maintain the universe. In fact, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith... We understand that the words, that's the universe and the ages, were framed and created by the word of God. Why? Why did God use words to create and frame the universe? It is so that what we eventually see in the physical realm are things that are made out of things that are not seen. God used words to communicate his image and bring from the unseen realm into the realm of the physical what he wants to see. So God will have an idea. He wants to create the sun. Or God will have an idea. He wants to create the moon. The moon is already available in the realm of the spirit. In the realm where God is. God is spirit. God wants to create the sun. The sun or the moon is in God. Is in God. In the realm of the spirit. But God wants to bring this son into the realm of the physical. God has to use what? A spiritual entity. A spiritual energy. A spiritual attribute of himself. Right? To bring something that is already in that realm of the spirit. Into the realm of the physical. And the Bible says. Jesus Christ says. The words that I speak unto you. The words coming from my mouth. That I speak unto you. Are spirit and life, which means words, the word of God, as the words of God are spiritual and they carry the life of God Himself. The words of God are spiritual 
and they, are, they carry the life of God himself. So when you take the words of God and you release it in a situation that doesn't look like it's going to work, you are bringing the life of God into that situation. So when God wants to create the sun and the moon, in order for you to bring the, this sun and the moon that already exists in the realm of the spirit into the realm of the physical, he chose, he used words. Words that are what? Spiritual. And says, let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. And when he says, let there be, the let there be went into the realm of what? The spiritual. To manifest that which was in the realm of the spiritual into the physical realm. That is the way creation happens. That's the reason why words are important. So, if you want to create something in your life that does not exist, what do you do? You use words. You start to speak about it. Faith-filled words. The spoken words of God releases faith. The spoken word of God, as you begin to speak the word of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes as you hear the word of God. So faith comes, faith is released as you hear the word of God. Now, but remember the Bible says, book of, I think, 1 John, that our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So if you want to have faith that overcomes the world, and if that faith is released by words, what do you start to do? You start to speak words out of your mouth. So in the kingdom of God, I want you to write this down. In the kingdom of God, words are seeds that produce after their kind. I want you to write that down. In the kingdom of God, words are seeds that produce after their kind. So God spoke the word as seeds that created what? The sun, the moon, the stars. They are words that God spoke. So because every seed produces after its kind, when God speaks the word and says, let there be light, light is the only thing that has to show up because every seed produces after its kind. And now, what does that therefore that mean? It means, <laughs> since words are seeds, in order for me to reap a harvest of what I want, I have to plant the seed. If I want a harvest of prosperity, I have to plant the seed of prosperity. If I want a harvest of joy, I have to plant the seed of joy. But what are these seeds? The parable of the sower tells us that the word of God is a seed. The Bible says the, the sower sows a seed. The seed is the word of God. So if, you, if I want a different outcome in my life, it does not make sense to be speaking of the outcome I currently have. So, let's say, for example, you are here today, you don't have money. It doesn't make sense to so say, from money to night, I don't have money, I don't have money, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke. When you say that, that what you're speaking, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, guess what? We produce after its kind and give you more, quote and unquote, brokenness. But if you follow the logic of Hebrews 11.3, if you want to create something new, what do you do? You begin to speak out of the realm of the spirit, that which your eyes cannot physically see. You have to speak something contrary to what your physical eyes can see. Your physical eyes, at the moment, is seeing no money in the bank account. But what do you want? You want money in the bank account, right? You Then you have to begin to speak what you want. Because as you begin to speak what you want, it's going to come from the realm of the spirit to come and manifest in the physical. This is a phenomenal truth that I just want you to understand. Because the Bible says in Genesis 8 verse 22 that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. What is he saying? He's saying there is a physical law on the earth that follows this pattern. 
When you have cold, you're going to have heat. When you have winter, you're going to have summer. When you have day, you're going to have night. And these laws, this particular law of 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 Genesis 8.22, will always be there as long as there's a earth. As long as there's an earth. So, as long as you have winter and summer, day and night, you will also have what we call seed time and harvest. So, if I want to have a harvest next year of a bountiful, let's say, uh, uh, maize or cassava or yam, what do I do? Do I wait until next year before I, pl- I, I plant the seed? No, I plant the seed now so that I can reap a harvest in the future. That's why I say seed time and harvest. There's a time to plant the seed, but the harvest is always in the future. So as long as you have, you have winter and summer and night, seed time and harvest will, ne- will never cease to exist. So the law of seed time and harvest says whatever is sown as a seed we ultimately produce a harvest in a time in the future. I actually want you to write that down. The law of seed time and harvest which is the law of Genesis says that whatever is sown as a seed is only sown as a seed that thing will ultimately produce a harvest in a time in the future after its kind. After its kind. It must produce a harvest in the future after its kind. This is the classic law of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that is how, is how, is how so reap. That's why people think, oh, I can do whatever I like. Doesn't have, there are no consequences. There are consequences to what we do. This is the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works in this way. In Luke chapter 17 verse 20 to 21, look at what God said. They came to meet Jesus and said, When should the kingdom of God come? He answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall somebody say to you, look, it is there. Look, it is there. No, he said the kingdom of God is within you. Okay. So, the kingdom of God is within you. But how does this kingdom of God work? The kingdom of God follows this process of planting seeds. Let's go into the text that explains that. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 33, look at what it says. The Bible says, the kingdom of God, that kingdom which is, that is within you, is like if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The kingdom of God follows what? A person scattering seed on the ground. The person sleeps and rises up day and night. And the seed sprouts and grows. It does not know how. The earth produced by itself. The blade, the air, the fruit grain in the hair. But when the grain is ripe at once, it puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So, let me explain that. The kingdom of God functions in a particular way. Which way? The way whereby you scatter seed on the ground. But what is this seed? Remember, the parable of the sower tells us the seed is the word of God. So the kingdom of God follows this pattern. You scatter the word of God. Where? It says seed on the ground. Ground is where? In the parable of the sower, we know that the ground is the heart. The ground is the top of the soil. The soil is the top of the heart. Right? So the kingdom of God is as somebody should sow seed. So somebody should plant words in the heart. That is profound. The way the kingdom of God works is you plant the seed, the word of God, in your own heart. And then you go to sleep, you wake up day and night. One day, the word of God that you have planted, which is a seed now, will sprout and grow. You don't even know how it happens. Why? Why is that? Because the earth, which is your heart, will produce based on what is planted in it. The, the earth, the earth, we produce based on what is planted in it. Now, the Bible then says it is going to come up first the blade, the hair, 
and the full grain in the hair. Which means, what you plant in your heart doesn't produce results immediately. You know, in the prior, if you plant seed time and harvest, right? You plant something today, it might be six months or one year before you see the harvest. That's why we just think words don't matter. Because you don't see the results immediately. You think your words, words don't matter. I can say whatever I like. No, you cannot say whatever you like. Because when you plant seeds in the ground, after based on the law of seed time and harvest, it will produce results for you. But it will not produce results for you the same day you plant it. It will produce results for you in the future. Okay, so now God is saying to you, the kingdom of God functions this way as somebody who plants seed in the heart. You plant the word of God in your heart. The word of God will produce result. The seed will produce result for you. Why does it produce result for you? Because the heart is designed to bring forth, to work on what is planted on it and produce result based on what is planted on it. How that makes sense? That's why Jesus Christ says uh, in the book of um, Matthew 12, 35, he says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, which means it is the good treasure of the heart. The good treasure of the heart will produce good things. The evil treasure of the heart will produce evil things. It doesn't mean the person is evil. It's just because the person is focusing on what is not gratifying or edifying or building that person up. That person will produce results. Why? Because the heart, the heart, the heart of that person, the heart of every human being on the face of the heart, the heart, the core of who we are, has been designed by God to produce results based on what is predominantly exposed to. So, the Bible here says, the heart produces by itself, first the blade, then the hair, and the full grain in the hair. The earth, the earth produces by itself. The earth is a type of the heart. The heart produces by itself, in, in first the blade. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens step by step by step by step. But, what does the heart produce? What does the heart, what does the, the earth, what does the earth work on to produce the result? It is what is planted in it. When you plant, put the seed in the ground, the earth will work on the seed in the ground to, to produce the result based on what is planted in there. And, it, and, and according to the law of Genesis, the seed will produce after its kind. Sorry, I'm laboring this because when you understand how this kingdom works, you can understand how Goliath, when he comes and say, I defy you, I defy you, I defy you, I defy you. And that's all they hear for 40 days. That is more than enough to paint what? Pictures of defeat, pictures of fear, pictures of melancholy, pictures of hopelessness in their hearts. And they became so petrified and terrified, they could not do anything about it. Let me also show you again the way the kingdom of God works. Remember, your heart is your heart is designed by God to bring forth results that is commensurate with the nature of what you have fed your heart. You might want to write that down. Your heart is being designed by God to produce results based on the nature of what you feed your heart on. But the amazing thing is that the result that will be produced will be after the kind of what you have stored in there. Not only that, it will produce more of that result for you. So if you plant the seed of deception, the seed of jealousy, the seed of envy, the seed of um, anger, whatever it is that you have planted in your heart, your heart is designed to produce that for you. More anger, more deception, more lie, more whatever. And that is what it is. That's the way the kingdom works. So, let me also show you another way how you know about the way the kingdom works. In that same text we were looking at earlier, Mark chapter 4, 
verse 26 to 33. Just guy says here, he says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? He's telling you, giving you an analogy here. How can you compare the kingdom of God? How do you know how the kingdom of God works? Now, remember, remember he says to us, the kingdom is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It's not, the kingdom of God is not, oh, so we go, we go, I go into the mountain somewhere, we're going to, uh, let's, let's, so, so, and so, to go and meet a, 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 a guru somewhere. The kingdom of God is like, not like, oh, let's go to uh, the mountain and pray for 55 days so that we can meet God. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. The heart, your heart is where the kingdom of God is. Your heart is where the kingdom of God is. And he now says to you, what can we compare this kingdom of God that is within you? Or what parable can we use for it? He said, it is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like, he's not saying the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. He said, it's like a mustard seed. But what do you do to the mustard seed? He says, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yes, when yet when it is sown, not if. When it is sown, if, it's, if, it, does, if, it, if it does not get sown, it cannot grow up. When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants that put out large branches. So that the best of the air can make nests in its shade. Notice what they say. The kingdom of God functions like what? A mustard seed. The kingdom of God functions like what? A seed. What do you do with the seed? You plant it. When you plant the seed, what will happen to the seed? It begins to grow. And it begins to grow and begins to grow and begins to grow. It might start small, but as you as long as you plant it, it might start small, it will grow and grow and grow. So when you take the word of God and you plant it in your heart, and you plant it in your heart, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. It might start small, but it will grow big. The seed is the word of God. The kingdom of God works the same way mustard seed works. It is planted by sowing. You plant it, you sow it in your own heart. So, the heart does not care. The heart produces based on the nature of what is fed into it. So, now, that then brings us back to the story of Goliath. When Goliath speaks these words, I defy you, I defy you, I defy you. I, if, if Bring somebody out who can, who can walk with me. If the person kills me, you'll be my, he kills me, I'll be your, will be your servant. If you kill the person, will be your servant. And so on and so forth. When he's talking like that, and he comes in for 40 days saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. What is he doing? He's creating pictures of fear in their heart and they are afraid. So, Goliath is anything that represents, anything that physically challenges and overwhelms you, or anything or situation that you find overpowering, even just by thinking about it. You have no power to overcome it. Anything that causes fear and trepidation in your life today is a Goliath. So, how do you overcome Goliath? Let's start with the story of what David did. Be motivated, number one, be motivated by the end result. Let's go back to verse 25 to 27. First Samuel, chapter 17, verse 25 to 27. The Bible says, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out. He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him, give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Amen. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him so what did they do here they were telling david what the outcome what the reward will be right what the reward will be if for anyone who ventures to be able to do what to destroy goliath and then what does that tell us that tells us one thing that is profound which is this we need to be motivated by what by the end result we need to be motivated by what by the end result so the question is if you do not know your why why you are in the battle of life or why you are doing what you have to do if you don't know why you are you why if you don't know your why you are going to give up if you face a Goliath moment and you don't know your why you are going to give up your why must be so compelling that it keeps you moving forward against all odds question i've got do you have a why for your life do you have a why for your life i was talking to uh, my spiritual son the other day i said to him if you don't have your why when you go on a journey there will be instances for you where you want to give up and you want to capitulate and i tell a story i said recently i did a road trip to italy i went to about six or seven seven countries in total um you know we went to uh, france uh, switzerland italy austria germany uh luxembourg brussels austria i think i mentioned Austria already yeah and then, and then and we came back to france and it came to the uk and i said but when we're going it was the first time we're going with i've not done it before and i at the time i felt like oh man this journey is too much and i said the only thing that kept me going driving all that to all those countries was the picture that i've painted in my heart of the way my children will see me on the next day when we're going to all see each other as a family and their faces are going to sort of light up, light up. They say, oh, wow, you made it. That was what kept me going. So anytime I felt like, oh, man, I can't do this anymore, I just remember that picture. For me, that was part of the why of that journey. The why was to create an experience. Also for my, for my first child, right, to ensure that we can do that road trip together and just have fun. That why was what was compelling that kept me moving. If you don't have a why for your life, you are going to give up when you face a Goliath moment. So whatever Goliath moment you are facing right now, ask yourself the question, what is the why for me? Why am I? Why do I need to overcome this Goliath? Why is it important? So for example, somebody might be facing a sickness and doctor said, oh, there's no way out. And they might even have written you and say, you go, oh, you know, the person is going to die in two, three months or forever. But you, you could create a, such a compelling why in your heart, you know, seeing your children, getting married allow your heart to be filled with that why so much so that it will help you to keep on going regardless of all odds so may god allow us in the name of Jesus to understand the why for our life the why for our life the why in any every season we find ourselves god will help us to see the why so that we can be motivated by the end result david here was motivated by the end result the, the king will give wealth omit taxes for the person Give the, give the person a wife, a, a, a king's daughter to marry. That was the why. But the why also was here. Uh, it's about the fact that David was so pissed off, as it were, apologies, by the, the way this guy was coming to put the children of people of God in fear. He was so upset by the fact that this guy came in and was defying God. So that was the why that motivated him. Okay, number two, ignore 
the criticisms and faithlessness of your close friends. In verse 20 to 30, let's go back and read it. Verse 20 to 30, what do we see? We see here that when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speak, speaking with the man, he born with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here? What is your why? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how considered you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done? David said. Can't I even speak? In the KJV, he says, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason why I'm asking? Don't I have a cause that is leading me to ask this question? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the man answered him as before. And then the Bible says, when David said, when what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. All right. So we see here in these verses that David had to do something, had to ignore the faithlessness, the criticism of those who are close to him. You know, those who are closest to you, they are the ones that will not see your worth the most. Those who are closest to you, they will not see your worth. God is giving you a dream and a vision, and you decide to run it past your friends. They dumb it down. They say to you, is it really possible? So you need to learn to ignore. Do not focus. When you are in the Goliath moment and God is leading your heart the things to do, do not listen to the naysayers that say, oh, it cannot be done. Who has done it before? Who do you think you are? Focus on the course that will give you. Just the other day, I was thinking about a concept I called, I don't know whether um, I'll be able to post it, you know, it's a concept I call, that's called the thermostat and the thermometer. And the question that you should ask is, are you a thermostat? Are you a thermometer? Let's explain the difference. A thermometer, a thermometer is something that regulates, that, that checks the temperature. But a thermostat regulates the temperature. If God is giving you a vision, and you allow your heart to be a thermometer, and you present that vision to your friends and family, and they tell you all the different reasons why it will not work, what will happen? You have taken what? The temperature from the outside world. And I use that to dumb down the vision that God has placed in your heart. And then you stop. You don't move anywhere. But if you're a thermometer, you regulate the atmosphere. When somebody's telling you stuff about how something will not work, you go back in your heart. Instead of allowing your heart to be persuaded, overwhelmed by what you are hearing from the outside, you go down in your heart. And you replay back the image and what God has said to you. And you allow that to come out of your mouth. You allowed to be the compelling vision of your life. David said, Is there another cause? He did not allow the words of his brothers that see him as a nobody, that see him as a troublemaker, to stop him from pursuing the goal. Remember, he's motivated by the end goal. As he began to try and find a way to understand what the issue is, what, what's going to happen if he can achieve the end goal, voices started to come. The same way as you be, begin in your own work to begin to think about what you're going to do. How are you going to do run that business? How are you going to lead that family? And you have this big vision of what you want to do. The moment you start to think about that, voices will start to rise up. Telling you it cannot be done. Telling you who do you think you are. Telling you do you think you, 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 this, this is possible? Has anybody ever done this before? That is the voice that will be coming up. 
So if you have an idea today, you have a dream today, you have a vision that God has given you, it's so compelling in your heart. You can see that. That is what is driving you forward. Do not listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to people that tell you it's not possible. Don't listen to people that tell, that tell you who do you think you are. Don't do that. Because if you do, it will short-circuit what God has asked you to do. So ignore the, the criticism and the faithlessness of your, of your close friends. Number three, decide to fight the good fight. You see, if you're ever going to win in this life, you must decide to enter the fight and fight. Don't live a life of passiveness. A life of passiveness is a killer. Where we're just saying what will be, will be, we're just winging it. No. Remember, the Bible says that I am come, John 10, 10, I am come that you may have life and have that life to the full. That is the life that Christ came to give us. But the fact that he came to give us that life, to the full life, doesn't mean everybody enjoys a full life. What is the difference? The difference is in what? In deciding that that full life is for us. Now, decision is not something that is of the head. Decision is of the heart. You must make a decision. This is what I want. Has it ever happened to you before when you decide that you were going to do something? That opposition start to rise up? My mentor says something to me, says, disruption follows intention. Every single time you try to want to do something, you are intending to do something, you are automatically going to get something that tells you it can't be done. You are automatically going to get something that says to you, challenge you, to see whether you are really committed to what you decide to do. If you decide to become an A student, an A star student, and you, you set your things in motion, you begin to set to, you want to begin to prepare yourself, apply yourself, you are going to face challenges immediately that try to challenge you to say, are you really sure you are committed to this? What The challenges you face when you are on your way to the thing you want to become are engineered to test and prove that you are really committed to what you say you are going to do. Not everybody in the world is committed. People who say something with their mouth and they say something else with their mind, they, what the actions betray what they say. And yeah, because of that, you know, a number of people have this dream, but they are not able to bring the dream to bear because they, they are not committed to it. It's, it's an idea. They, they love the idea of what they're talking. Somebody like me like the idea of owning their own business or be debt-free, but what are they doing about it? The very first time you begin to put plans in plan, you begin to walk towards it, and you face a challenge, and you say, oh, I can't do it again. That person has become the, 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 the rocky ground. The Bible says the rocky ground is the one that hears the message of the kingdom. Understand how the kingdom works. Like I was, I've explained to you earlier today, how the kingdom works. Somebody hears about the kingdom works, and they're so excited. Oh, I know how the kingdom works. The kingdom works by planting seed in my heart, by speaking the word of God in my heart. The person understands that. But the Bible says, affliction will come. When the affliction comes, the person is offended. And then they abandon what they are going to do. The affliction means the pressure of life comes to challenge what you have been confessing about. And the person says, I can't do it again. But the Bible says the, the, the affliction came or persecution came for the sake of the word. The, it is the word that you are believing God for. That's what the persecution comes to steal from you. So when you leave this meeting and you begin to say, oh Father, I thank you that you always answer prayer. And you begin to say, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I'm blessed by the best of me, the best in all that I do. You begin to say, the Lord supplies my, my needs are going to riches in glory by Christ. You just begin to say, I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm blessed. Uh, you begin to say, my, my, my organs function well. You begin to say, eternal life is at work in me. If when you begin to say that in, be, in the beginning, in the beginning, and you then face a challenge where maybe the next time you go to the doctor, the doctor says, oh, this, this, this thing is not looking like it's going to get healed. It's getting worse. 
that statement from the doctor came to steal your faith. The doctor is not an agent of the devil. The devil is just doing what a natural person would do. But that system for the doctor is engineered to steal your faith. And what are you going to do? If you say, oh, that's how, that's how things are always don't work for me, then you give up. Then you have given up on your dream. But what you should do is to stay there. Be like the person with a good heart. The Bible says that true perseverance, true perseverance, bring forth the the fruit the, the the seed onto fruit onto many fruit essentially something like that so you 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 through perseverance you bring forth the fruit so you don't allow life to cheat you hallelujah okay so i think i'm also running out of time i might continue this next week but let me show you an example of somebody that decided to fight a good fight decision is of the heart the bible talks about a woman called the woman with the issue of blood. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 29. The Bible says, There was a woman who had, who had had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better. But instead she grew worse. She had heard the reports concerning Jesus and she came up behind him in the throng and touched his garment. For she kept saying, If I only touch his garment, I shall be restored to health. And immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source. And suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. Obviously, we've spoken about this test before many times. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to belabor it. But I want to look at something that the, 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 the decision in the heart of the woman. The woman has spent all she was she got was. So imagine somebody who's been sick for many years, has spent a lot of money. And there's no answer. It's the same thing, same more, same more, same more, same more, same more. Then the person heard that Jesus is able to heal. The person heard about the word of God. The person heard about the efficacy of the word of God. The person heard and understands, right, that if I put the word to use in a particular way, if I plant the word of God in my heart over and over and over again, regardless of what I see, ultimately the word will produce result because the word produces after his kind. He has heard about Jesus. He has heard about the fame of Jesus Christ, about how Jesus Christ heals all the time. She has heard about that. But what did she? What what made her to come was what she has heard about Jesus. But not only that, the Bible said, "For she kept saying, she kept saying, if I only touch his garment, she kept saying, she kept saying, she she kept saying to herself over and over and over again." The predominant conversation of her heart was, "If I touch." the hem of his garment I'll be made whole when you face a Goliath moment brother or sister what is the predominant conversation in your heart will you keep saying what God says or will you capitulate to what the word says this woman Jesus Christ said, your faith has made you whole. Where did the faith come from? The faith that not only spoke, but the faith that took action. Because she kept saying to herself, if I told the name of the garment, I would made whole. That statement that she said to herself over and over and over and over, guess what that statement was doing? That statement was painting new pictures in our heart. That picture was painting new pictures in our heart. Think about what she said. If I touch the hem of the garment, I will be made whole. So in her mind, because she kept saying that to herself, she has traveled in her mind. 
She has seen herself touch the hem of the garment of Jesus. She has seen herself becoming whole in that process. This is something that she has done. She kept saying to herself, she has done that in her mind first. She was still facing the Goliath moment of 12 years of illness. She was facing that Goliath moment. But remember, after she spent all, she's, she doesn't have anywhere else to go. She's basically, her back's against the wall. What should she do? She, should, she can either be like the children of Israel. When Goliath came and said, look, you're going to die. You're going to die. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. They run away. They became petrified. That's one approach that she could have taken. Or she acted like David would act and said, you have defied the army of the Lord. And today I'm going to kill you. So when the words came to her, the sickness came to her, the doctors have taken all the money. She has spent everything and she kept, she, kept, she kept growing wars. Then she heard about Jesus. She heard there's a way out in which you can, you can walk with Jesus by faith and receive result. Then what did she do? She kept saying to herself, if I just touch the hem of the garment. Now, she pictured it. She positioned herself in that space over and over and over again. That conversation of her heart that paints this new picture of her being healed if she can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment pushed her to move forward. So, so she decided to enter into the good fight of faith and she moved forward. And the Bible says she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus and she became whole. And Jesus Christ said to her, your faith has made you whole. You have fought the good fight of faith against all obstacles. You have said to yourself over and over and over again, you are going to remain whole. You touch the hem of the garment. You have taken action on the back of your faith. Because the Bible says faith without works is dead. You take act- taking action on the back of your faith based on what you said and then you receive results. I think I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here today. Now, next week, I'll continue this story about Jesus, about, about David. I think I've got about uh, about four more points. Uh, four, five, four or five more points that I want, to, I want to call out here that will help us to know how to fight our Goliath. I hope this has been a blessing to you. But please, the part I really want you to focus on, which I'm going to again draw on again next week, is about the way the kingdom works. The kingdom works by planting seed. The seed you plant is the word of God. That is it. That's the way the kingdom works. Now, the day you plant the seed is not the day you're going to get the harvest. But you are going to get the harvest. Why? Because the seed time and harvest will never cease. It's a law of seed time and harvest. It will always happen. So as you leave here, I want you to know, God loves you. God, God loves you and cares for you. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Whatever you're going to right now, I decree over you that it's going to be all right for you in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree over you that there will be a way a way for you. There will be a pathway for you. There will be a way out for you. Now, the solution you are seeking for might not come the way you want it, but God will answer your prayers nevertheless. Praise God forever. But remember, the kingdom is already on the inside of you. You don't have to go to the mountain. Just believe in your heart. Paint new pictures in your heart and speak that that, 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 that picture that you have put in your heart out of your mouth and then you are going to get a result. It might not happen immediately but it will happen if you fail not. God bless you. I will speak to you next week.